previously on Fanthropological. If you ever want to cringe, just type your name in and then add the hedgehog. <laughs> oh, man. You know what? <laughs> Make sure you have safer work stuff. <laughs> oh. Oh, oh, Jesus. The first image result is tell me I'm pretty. <laughs> all right. That's about all the time we have. <laughs> Ending on a positive note. I love it. Right. <laughs> Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Fanthropological, where each week we explore the weird and wonderful world and fandoms. And today, the fandom that we are exploring is the fandom of Sonic the Hedgehog. And here with me to do that are my two best friends, Nick T. Mr. Bats got it good, but this ain't his neighborhood. He's taken over. No, no. I was going to go with uh, the original series, but hey, too bad. You're too slow. Nixie. Um, you can also call me the blue blur. Nobody calls you that. I mean, you could. (laughs) (laughs) We'll see if you earn that nickname. (laughs) The invitation has been extended to everyone. Yes. (laughs) To call the blue blur. We'll see if anyone takes him up on that. And that voice that you hear is a returning special guest on the program. Hey everybody, my name is Matthew Tyler DeLeo, better known as the intergalactic sex demon known as Sonic MTD, and the lead singer of Toronto's best rock band, Shut Up, Your Opinion Doesn't Matter, City and Wires. It is a pleasure to be here, and today we are going to be talking about a subject matter that is very near and dear to my heart. Don't blink, you might miss it. It's everyone's favorite mascot who's rolling around at the speed of sound, Sonic the Hedgehog. It's a pleasure to be here, guys. For just a second, I thought the name of your band was Shut Up, Your Opinion Doesn't Matter. <laughs> <laughs> I always just add that to the front. You know? We really got into Scott Pilgrim last time, so we decided to, to go full. <laughs> Shut Up, Your Opinion Doesn't Matter. That is a great band name if you want your band to only be mentioned twice ever. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, Sonic the Hedgehog. Oh my goodness. Yes, we are talking this week about Sonic the Hedgehog. If you have not heard about Sonic the Hedgehog, how is that possible? Sonic is a quite old, by comparison to some of the things we've talked about on the show, franchise. Mm-hmm. Only 90s kids will remember Sonic the Hedgehog. I'm led to understand. See, I never thought you'd get to bring that up again, but there you go. <laughs> Actually, I'm going to call shenanigans on that because <laughs> Sonic transcends 90s kids now. It is in a, a far new state and actually you know what i'm gonna save my point for later on in the show so you guys take it away all right i'm gonna give some quick background on sonic the hedgehog in case uh you do not know anything about the character that the show the everything's storied history sonic the hedgehog is a media franchise created by sega Uh, It is primarily a video game franchise, but it also delves into several comic book series, at least one anime, a movie, many different canons. God knows how many canons. (laughs) 
Typically, Sonic, usually along with some of his friends, such as Tails, Amy, and Knuckles, must off antagonist Dr. Eggman, or Dr. Robotnik, depending on when you grew up, uh, plans for world domination. The first <laughs> game in the series was released in 1991, conceived by Sega's Sonic team, after Sega requested a mascot character. Uh, its success has spawned many sequels and helped Sega become one of the leading video game companies during the 16-bit era of the early 90s. While the first Sonic games were side-scrolling platform games, later games expanded into other genres. The series had sold over 80 million physical copies by June of 2011 and has grossed over $5 billion by 2014. As of 2017, the series has shifted 360 million units over all of the different games. And there is a lot. There is way more than I thought there were. And as, as mentioned, many different media as well. In fact, so many that the comic book from the Sonic show uh, is recognized as the longest-running comic based on a video game series by the Guinness World Book of Records. Wow. What's another one? Oh, uh, Mega Man? Yes. I certainly remember <laughs> the Super Mario Choose Your Own Adventure books, but those are hardly good. <laughs> what, what a lot of people don't realize uh, when it comes to the, the Sonic comic books, because I was a huge fan. That's kind of where I began my start with Sonic was through the comic books. But they're under the same wheelhouse as Archie Comics. Yeah. And that is That's right. a hard turn. Like a ridiculously <laughs> hard turn to the point where you're like, really? It's like finding out that McDonald's also owns like Chinese restaurants. You're just like, I'm what? <laughs> like I could see that happening, but why? I can't remember. There was some place that was showing off all the weird, like little non sequiturs from the comics, and there are a lot. <laughs> but fun non sequitur, uh relatedly. Sonic's middle name, not the Maurice. What? <laughs> Before the episode, it's like Sonic's middle name is then. I'm like, ha ha ha. And I'm like, Google Sonic's middle name. Apparently from Sonic the Hedgehog number 50, his first name Ooh. wasn't given in canon, but his middle name was revealed as Maurice. But none of that matters because there's like a million Sonic canons. Oh man. Does that mean I'm... that Space Cowboy is really about Sonic? <laughs> <laughs> You're too slow, G. Yeah. Sorry. You know what? You've just laid down the foundation. I might as well go run with it, um, and I'm going to run with it full force. So, like you mentioned, there's so many different Sonic cannons that are going around to the point where there is no legitimate cannon in my head. So, I first started off with Sonic when my parents bought me a Sega Genesis, and the North American version actually came with a pack that came with Sonic built in. Like, they just gave you the Sega Genesis, and it's like, oh yeah, here's Sonic the Hedgehog. You don't have to worry about it. And they were doing it to help promote and get Sega on the map, and that's what sort of brought me into it. But while I was playing on the Genesis, I was going across the street to the 7-Eleven when I was living in Vancouver, and I was picking up the Sonic the Hedgehog comic books. And I'm reading through the comic books, and it's a very dark and gritty a very bleak atmospheric adventure to the point where it's like oh my god uncle chuck who's uncle chuck <laughs> and then you're playing the game and you're like okay well, where does this translate to what i'm seeing in the comic and so for me it came as an understanding that there is no devout canon sonic is what you make of him and I think that's actually helped towards his appeal, although it is kind of very difficult to follow, because when some people's like, so tell me about Sonic the Hedgehog. Give me a second, let me get my spreadsheets and charts. <laughs> <laughs> Man, 
I'm trying to think of any other game series. Like, there are other game series, but, like, to mind, I can't yeah. think of another one. Oh, Kingdom Hearts, never mind. <laughs> where you need, like, a spreadsheet or something. Mm-hmm. But I can't think of examples off the top of my head where there are multiple different canons. Mm-hmm. It reminds me of Doctor Who canon. Oh, Lord. Ooh. There's no order to it, it's just all there. Yeah. <laughs> he is what you make of it, as well as there's a bunch of stuff that was lost by the BBC. And so the yeah. only way you have of getting that footage is through, like, fans of the original series who, like, recorded it on Betamax tapes. And it's just like, <laughs> yeah, we archived this stuff. We're better than the BBC. Give us a job, please. <laughs> TV shows. Who are going to watch these again? <laughs> <laughs> so I'm familiar with the history of Sonic. I uh, read a book about the history roughly about a year ago. So Sonic didn't start off actually as Sega's first attempt for a mascot character they were trying to go after nintendo because nintendo was getting successful with Jumpman, which became mario as well as the legend of zelda so they were trying to think of a, a humanoid character that could rival the success and their first attempt was a game called uh, alex kid and oh, yeah. Uh, yes oh yeah and while it did have sales primarily it wasn't doing well and it wasn't getting the steam that they needed to sort of launch that brand. So what Sega did was they put out a, a not really a contest per se, but they're like, hey, we need to come up with an idea for a mascot. And anyone on the floor who's willing to submit stuff, you know, send it in towards us. We'll take a look at it and we can possibly make a game out of it. And so it was, see, I got my notes over here. It was a man by the name of Naoto Oshima who created uh, the very base concept for a hedgehog type of character. He was originally brown, and the name that he associated with him was Mr. Needlemouse, right? Because it was just <laughs> a very base concept. Yeah. So Sega had been primarily known for like very fast, arcade-style games like racers and flight sims in Japan. So they wanted to create a character who was outrageously fast, but who could still attack people while developing that pace and movement. So they decided on a hedgehog because he has the ability to sort of curl up into a ball and he himself is the weapon rather than having someone who has projectiles and sort of like a a Contra or a a Legend of Zelda kind of way. Mm. And he was originally brown but they changed his color to blue to match sega's logo because they wanted to have the color coordination between the two yeah and the rest as they say is history so to speak and there was a huge differential between the 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 cartridge of sonic the hedgehog that we originally got and what his original design was because they showed him off at sort of like a a tech demo sort of like a a really low budget e3 in japan and it was somewhat different like in terms of what the characters were how you would go around doing stuff and even the designs of dr robotnik aka dr eggman and they had to refine him until they finally got what they got and if you look through the concept notes i don't know if you've actually taken a look at some of the artwork that was associated with sonic the hedgehog but his entire motif was very different so in the original design sonic the hedgehog played guitar in a rock band with like other animals and he had a human girlfriend 
named Madonna. Oh. Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> so those people who are who are talking about, you know, that are Sonic purists who who dunk on new Sonic, keep in mind he almost had a human girlfriend there, so <laughs> can we really say that Sonic 06 was that terrible? <laughs> But uh, they ended up switching that out because obviously you don't want to be sued by Madonna. Ah, uh, no. And I'm also trying to remember they were doing other things in terms of his character design. Like they were basing his shoes off of Michael Jackson. Oh, yeah. I guess he wears something that's similar. Mm-hmm. But as for why they're red, I don't remember. It's been a while since I've seen that article. I wouldn't be surprised if that was just a, a colored theory kind of thing right like it contrasts yeah. really well with sonic like yeah. it contrasts yeah. to the blue yeah. yeah but yeah it sounds like everything was like as a result of like a fairly logical decision for the character mm-hmm. whereas when it arrives fully formed in front of you you're like a, a super fast blue hedgehog what's the deal with that <laughs> yeah. but like <laughs> if you go through each step it's like oh yeah that makes sense i think the original comic the archie comic where sonic is introduced is kind of hand wavy in in that sense too it's like hey uh i'm a really kind like scientist i'm Mm. testing on this hedgehog and we put him on this treadmill and because of these shoes i think he runs really fast and you're like oh okay and then by a similar experiment i left out some bad eggs and the good scientist becomes a bad egg man egg yeah (laughs) that's kind of how i remember it it's kind of like a, a dr jekyll mr hyde thing where there's the guy who becomes Eggman, a.k.a. Robotnik, he's doing this sort of scientific experiment and it goes haywire and basically turns him into the the evil Robotnik. Like, he he didn't even look at all like the finished Robotnik. It wasn't until the, the, the crazy science experiment goes wrong and it turns him into Ivo Robotnik and it creates Sonic the Hedgehog because he had, like, a, a pet little hedgehog or whatever, but through wacky science... And <laughs> the likes of which that hasn't been seen outside of the Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies. <laughs> First we find the heart. See, now I just want to watch Darkman. Hey, yeah, it's uh, your prerogative if you want to. There's, oh there's got to be a live action <laughs> Sonic movie in the works. There's got to be one from Japan. They just made so many live action movies. There's yeah. one in the works. But I don't know if it's live action. Yeah, I, I think it's animated. Ben Schwartz is Sonic. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. All right. Not that we're off track. I'm really enjoying where <laughs> this is going. But uh, there was like a segue and I missed it. So I'm going to have to turn off on this exit. I did find some fun fan data. Okay. Mostly around the games. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a little bit about the, the people. Mm-hmm. If you were to guess what the top three Sonic games as rated by Sonic fans of a survey about a 300 responses, what would you say are the top three Sonic games? Any guesses? Sonic the Hedgehog 1, Sonic and Knuckles, and I want to say Sonic Heroes. Like, I, I, I would no, I'd probably say Sonic Generations. Okay, in that order? In that order. Okay, cool. G? I'm just going to guess the top spot. I, I'm going to say Sonic 2. Okay. How about you, Z? Top spot, Sonic and Knuckles, and then Sonic 2, and then Sonic CD. All right, you are... Sonic CD is way off base. <laughs> okay. I'm just going to start with that. But you're all pretty close. Yeah. Top spot, Sonic 2. Okay. With almost yep. 25%. Congratulations. Second spot, Sonic Adventure 2. 
Ooh. What? Oh. No, that that one did well. That one did really well. Oh, it it did really well. I know it did well. It's just I didn't expect to see it in the top three. Rolling <laughs> uh, around at the speed <laughs> of sound. <laughs> oh, I love that. Third spot, Sonic 3 and Knuckles, because it's hard to separate the two as a single game for legitimate reasons, uh, with 14.6%. Wow. Some less interesting things. Everyone's favorite character is Sonic the Hedgehog. Shadow hey. the Hedgehog. Shadow That's the right. Edgehog. <laughs> oh. Shadow, you okay? Smash? I've become so numb. <laughs> Shadow the Hedgehog was in the bottom three for games. <laughs> yeah. Oof. Most disliked game. Sonic Boom, Rise of Lyric, 31%. Sonic yep. 06, almost 20%. Shadow the Hedgehog, 7.5%. Wow. I will talk about all three of those because I know the backstories <laughs> behind all of them. Oh, cool. But yeah, that doesn't really surprise me. The one thing that I will say is when it comes to the Sonic fandom... There are those that like the classic games, and then there are those that like the modern games, and there's no real sort of, like, people in the middle who's just like, I primarily like both. There's a disparency uh, between audience metrics that Sega has found. It's one of the reasons why Sonic Generations did so well, because it was a mix of both. It applied to all of the Sonic fandom. It's like, if you like the classic, guess what? We have classic missions for you. If you like the modern stuff, we've got modern missions for you. And they tried it again with Sonic Forces, and um, unfortunately, it didn't really work out. I had, I can't really make that justifiable call because I haven't played Sonic Forces yet. But people are very split in regards to how sonic forces turned out and the only way i'll be able to give my opinion is if i actually play the game so that's where i'm going to end that (laughs) (laughs) okay from the one survey that was conducted it was a ratio of like nine men to one women in terms of responses um again reddit surveys tend to skew more male but that seemed a little bit ridiculous yeah largest group of folks were aged 14 to 23 Mm -hmm. with like 80 percent which surprised me because I assumed that all Sonic fans are old, which is definitely not true. <laughs> and most folks were introduced to the game through the original trilogy. Almost 40% of folks through that means. I only had one other fun fact, and that was the Sonic Boom TV series makes direct reference to the Sonic fandom in an episode with Nominatus. I don't know how to pronounce that. Gesundheit. Yeah, Gesundheit. <laughs> <laughs> He says, who dares oppose Nominatus viral sensation in destructive worlds? Amy replies, viral sensation? You mean like the cute sneezing panda? And Sonic replies, or all of those weird pictures of me? (laughs) 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 Oh. Well, at least least they can poke fun at the absurdity of their situation. (laughs) (laughs) It's kind of like a a Teen Titans versus Teen Titans Go kind of situation. Where it's like, Go will reference the older version, and it's just like, yeah, that's who we were. Kind of miss it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, well. (laughs) An acknowledgement is probably as good as it's going to get. Yeah. Why? So, let's let's start off with an article I found entitled, 11 Reasons Everyone Loves Sonic. Number one, The Drinks. Number two, full menu, 
all day. <laughs> Number three. <laughs> I'll keep going until everybody realizes what I'm doing. Number four, half price shakes. Is there, any, <laughs> is there anything about the car hops? I really like Sonic because the car hops. I, I, Number nine, roller skating car hops. I can't even. <laughs> On a scale of oh. one to even, I can't. Oh, that's too bad. All right, I'm going to put that away. I, uh, <sighs> I did that joke. Going to make a supersonic man out of you. No. <laughs> All right, I'm going to ask this. There's like people who like the later games and people who like the earlier games and never mm-hmm. the twain shall meet. Mm-hmm. How much of that is to do with like the addition of like the lore and the characters in the later games? I think that really depends. Because once again, Sonic went through a drastic change from originally 2D side-scrolling platformer to the 3D elements and aspects that it's become. Sonic has been consistently changing over the years, like almost every single game to the point where Sega never seems to go back to the well twice. Mm-hmm. They'll have like an interesting thing where it's just like, yeah, we're going to do unleashed where we're going to have it like have brawling elements on top of the the super speedy stuff and it's like okay well not everybody liked that so we're never going to do that again and as game developers just because things don't appear the right way doesn't mean that you should abandon them altogether there's times where you can actually refine your mechanics and try to make something better for the next run so it's instead of just consistently reinventing yourself and being mediocre with that you can just say no we're going to do this and the first time we didn't do quite as well but the second time hey we've refined the mechanics and it runs a little bit better actually let's let's bring that up mechanics of the sonic games earlier we were talking about sonic 2006 and shadow the hedgehog and uh rise of lyric all of which had interesting backstories as to how they were they were going to do because uh sonic 2006 was rushed that was its major problem they couldn't refine the mechanics in time because they were trying their best to get it up to speed with uh i believe it was like the 25th anniversary or something like that like one of the major milestone anniversaries and so they rushed it out of the door without properly bug testing it and a lot of people when they got behind the wheel of sonic 2006 were just looking at it going this is a broken piece of garbage what (laughs) is this and that definitely hurt sega's credibility and reputation it's one of the reasons why it tanked was because they were trying to get it out the door so fast to the point where they didn't refine it they didn't make it a truly wonderful game that people would be able to talk and as for games like shadow the the hedgehog This is the problem with ambition from a creative standpoint. (laughs) What they wanted to do, in essence, is they wanted to create a game where the player gets to mold the story and the rest of the game sort of changes over time. Because you can start off, you're starting off as Shadow the Hedgehog who's amnesiac, so he doesn't remember anything and he's trying to, to piece together. And so it's up to the player to decide whether or not you're going to take this character who's starting off neutral and make him evil or do you want to redeem him and maybe be like a little bit evil but then start being good a little bit towards the later on like they were planning on making a sprawling multiple choice ending scenario like i think the original draft for shadow the hedgehog has like over 300 to 600 different endings that were possibly stenciled out but because yeah but because of the fact that 
that amount is so chaotic and so like in depth they did not have the budget to be able to pull that off and they had to reuse a lot of different scenes to the point where people are playing this and it's just like the story doesn't make any sense and the reason why is because they just got too ambitious for their own good and that's why shadow of the hedgehog sort of broke down the gameplay was kind of interesting a lot of people are very divided on the mechanics of including guns for the first time. I was literally yeah. about to ask about that. Yeah. And it's... See, it might have worked if they managed to have ways of implementing it in a, in a Sonic Heroes or Sonic Adventure type of situation. Because they had a character, uh, one of the, the robots in Sonic Adventure, who did the whole the gun thing the the machine i can't remember what his name is e102 gamma yeah e102 gamma thank Ooh. you but it's i don't know too much ambition and people were not prepared to see an edgy hedgehog with <laughs> with unrefined story mechanics uh and what was the final one rise of oh let's not talk about sonic boom sonic boom is a is a travesty against humanity <laughs> i've heard a lot of really good things about the tv show <laughs> the tv show is apparently very self-aware it's funny <laughs> but it's not a game so it's hard to compare the two it's it's difficult so i am incredibly biased um i'm not saying that i enjoy classic sonic because i did enjoy modern sonic i was still playing up until uh sonic heroes and i still enjoyed that like i was watching sonic x on foxbox when it was on saturday oh. morning remember saturday morning cartoons folks they were fun <laughs> oh yeah but when it came to sonic boom i didn't like how caricature ish a lot of the characters were becoming like one of the things that they did is they turned knuckles into sort of like this dumb jock character and when i was yeah. growing up with him like in in comic books and cartoons he was sort of like Raphael from teenage mutant ninja turtles like sort of yeah. the the anti-hero who will get in your face but primarily just wants to keep to himself and then sometimes in the comic books he's a bounty hunter because canon is all over the place yeah <laughs> but i didn't like what they did with him but at the same time i'm also sort of invalidating my own point because there is no true sonic canon so mm. they can do whatever they want with him i just didn't like what they did with him yeah so we mentioned canon at several points in this episode and just to briefly bring up some of them you have like the original trilogy which includes sonic and knuckles mm -hmm. you have the archie comics which i feel like there was a convergence at the beginning and then a divergence you have the Sonic Adventure series, you have Sonic and the Black Knight, you have Sonic Unleashed, you have the Saturday Morning Cartoon series, which is yet another continuity. You have mm. Sonic Underground, which you would think shares the same continuity as maybe the Saturday Morning Cartoon. Nope, nope. Nope. Uh, you have Sonic X, which I think <laughs> kind of ties into the games, sort of, but doesn't really matter because they come to Earth, so it's, who cares? Mm -hmm. Sad AM as well. Uh, had... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, sorry. Were... I, I said the Saturday morning cartoon, and I meant yeah. Saturday AM. But there's also... <laughs> Another <laughs> one the... starring <laughs> Urkel, of all people. Yes. I think both of them yes. had Urkel, as it turns out. Really? Okay. Yeah. But yeah, my mouth. it doesn't matter. They're getting lots of work. One of them is just like a goofy <laughs> slapstick, <laughs> let's do a bunch of weird stuff. And then the other oh, one is that's... like, here's a plot, and it never got finished. 
and yeah. it it got like it was a legitimately serious show as well like yeah. i when i was growing up all i had was the the goofy slapsticky one had i known that there was like a, a much edgier version i would have like jumped onto that but it's difficult when you're in vancouver and you only have 29 channels because you can't afford basic cable um <laughs> well it's it's good because you saved yourself on years of therapy thinking about uh, a certain southern roboticized rabbit <laughs> uh, you're stuck with antoine <laughs> yeah i have antoine i forgot about antoine <laughs> there's there's a lot of that's not hard to forget about antoine there's a lot of situations that involve with uh, the sonic fandom and the sonic community primarily in regards to character origins and as well as once you get once again you said the the sexualization of a certain type of rabbit uh, like that's that's me being a little bit unkind because i was watching a, a video on sonic fandom and it correctly pointed out that you know if you think that a fandom is weird because somebody said hey look up cringy weird blank in google <laughs> and you found stuff then it should be no surprise that pretty much every fandom has cringy weird blank yeah yeah or weird porn every fandom mm-hmm. has that you that you haven't found it doesn't mean anything rule 34 you guys I'm not saying it isn't. It's Sonic, unfortunately, gets somewhat thrown under the bus in regards to they have the most vocal. I Well, I guess vocal isn't the strong word. They have the most active because when you hear stuff primarily, you'll hear about like Chris Chan and his work with Sonichu or you'll hear about some of the. Yes, I've, I've seen I saw your face walk away from the microphone for a brief second. I've heard of Sonichu. It's uh, five shades of nope in a ah! <laughs> one pound bag. Boy. <laughs> but yeah, in regards to the Sonic fandom, it is because it kind of it does bleed into the furry community as well. And that in on itself is a loaded can of worms. I don't know if you've ever watched. There's this series called Down the Rabbit Hole and his entire shtick is he goes and uh, sort of reviews fandoms and chronicles how things got from where their inception is to where they are now and uh, the video that he did the one i saw recently was of the furry community and it was originally just a bunch of people that enjoyed drawing like silly cartoon animals then it turned into deviancy then some people got a little too crazy to the point where it's like no this is a gender identity and then it slowly started snowballing out of control to the point where it became the exact opposite of what the original idea was because it's like yeah we're drawing these silly cartoons primarily as a means of saying art shouldn't be taken seriously this is just some goofy stuff don't end up going crazy and off the rails with it and that's what it ended up becoming but in regards to the sonic community i mean holy where do you even start buddy of mine medium mike uh michael devoe we do what to play gaming he basically mentioned to me how almost everyone in the community at some point or another has drawn a sonic oc a sonic original character and as i said in our scott pilgrim thing if you ever want to cringe (laughs) just type your name into google and then add the hedgehog associated with it but as well as that like i i looked over at my buddy medium and i i i just said well what you said doesn't apply to me. And he's like, what are you talking about? I've never 
drawn a Sonic OC. And he looked at me and goes, you've never drawn a Sonic OC. And I'm like, no, I became my OC. <laughs> <laughs> Have you seen the business cards? Not, you know what? I haven't lately. <laughs> what I was going to say was it's funny that you mentioned both of those things because I was reading this article from US Gamer talking with Sonic fandom going very deep into it. And uh, there's this really interesting paragraph, which I think kind of ties together the bits about canon and OC-ness. Um, and it says, uh, mystery and mistake really breeds fandom, I said some person. Sonic is like a bunch of very strange choices, a bunch of very, very weird decisions, all piled together in a world that most of the time makes absolutely no effort to explain itself. <laughs> when it does make effort to explain itself, it often does such a bad job that it's easy to disregard. So it creates this really great space for fans to put themselves on the narrative and put themselves in the world. That's where the OC culture comes from. So you decided to take your OC and put it in the real world. Yeah. <laughs> but other people <laughs> took that and were like, this world doesn't make any sense. So I'm just going to make my own character and it is in the world. It makes just as much sense as anything else. And I, I think that actually works well in Sega's favor because Sega has gained this huge underlying amount of street cred, even though that they're no longer involved in the console wars in regards to how accepting they are at letting third-party people or other mm -hmm. fans sort of do new creative spins or to take the fandom for a ride and say, hey, we did this or we created this or like, for example, Sonic Mania was a complete and total fan-made product. Mm -hmm. Sega Team had absolutely nothing to do with that like no one involved with it it was done by two people like two to three people or so who what they do is they they like taking the old sega games and they like creating their own maps out of it and they're like hey we did this new and interesting idea with that and sega was sitting there going we want you to do that for us <laughs> they did a really good job <laughs> they did they've done an insanely oh, yeah. good job um to the point where People are honestly, I'm one of those people, are looking at it to the point where it's just like, Sega, let the fans run amok. <laughs> we'll create good stuff, and if you're willing to support it, do that. Because I think fan-made Sonic stuff, it sells better and it goes down better than a lot of people in regards to the newer Sonic, the newer stuff that Sega is putting out. Well, do you think that part of that, though, is that uh, going back to the whole the twain shall never meet, mm. the classic Sonic appeals to some people, and then the newer Sonics, especially Forces, from what I've seen of it, it appeals to people not so much because of the gameplay, but because of the customization, because you can make your OC mm -hmm. in the game. So they're like they're like kind of covering a wide swath of people by releasing games that, that mix things, like Generations, mm -hmm. like Forces, but maybe more so like sonic mania and sonic forces coming out in the same year if not the same month generations sold like gangbusters like it was one of the most successful sonic games to the point where they tried bringing it back with forces mm -hmm. once again it's it's very difficult for me to pass judgment on something that i haven't played it doesn't seem fair and it doesn't seem uh journalistically accurate but in regards to, to Sonic Forces, I guess a lot of people were just sort of dunking on it because of, it's like, oh, Sonic OC the game, but I, I thought this is something that you wanted to do, or yeah. sometimes the, the nonsensical story. 
it just almost seems to me that because there's such a, a split in the fandom that you kind of wind up with those elements. And I guess maybe because the fans of classic Sonic are more established as video game journalists or mm. video game authorities on YouTube, mm-hmm. you hear the positives when those games come out. Whereas you don't really hear the positives from things like forces mm-hmm. when those games come out, because those people just don't have those, those roles of power and authority in the same way. It is unfortunate. Once again, I'm, I'm more a fan of classics, sonic and sonic x sonic Mm -hmm. than i am of the the newer stuff but for me i'll always keep in mind that everything is with a grain of salt it's almost like spider-man right like there is next to no canon it's whoever decides (laughs) to reboot the the franchises like now he's in high school whereas i grew up he was a father who's expecting a baby on the way and he is trying to become an adult and that unfortunately got retconned in one more day Wow. But you have to understand is that, you know, Sonic will change and adapt. Like, for me, one of the, the hardest, the most difficult things of having to deal with is actually having Amy as a love interest. Because as someone who's grown up reading the comic books, Amy started off, she was the exact same age as, like, Cream the Rabbit. Mm-hmm. She was a fangirl who managed to get a hold of uh, a magic ring and used it to make a wish, so that way she would be the same age as Sonic, so that way she can go out with him. What? Yeah, that was her origin story. Oh, wow. That's how she was, because originally in the comic books, Sonic had an on-again, off-again relationship with Sally Acorn. Yeah. Who was the princess of a kingdom. It It was, the comic books were very much an allegory against industrialization and the problems with that. Cause you have Eggman who is, you know, he wants to roboticize everything and take over the planet. And then you have Sonic the Hedgehog and his group of freedom fighters who like to live in a very sort of uh, rural, very nature filled. There's almost no in between between the two. So it's these two Mm -hmm. ideological differences fighting amongst each other without having any sort of middle ground. Yeah. And once again, it's, it's, interesting to see how the character has grown but it will always be like that was her origin story so i always wince just a little bit just a bit she started off as fangirl and now she's just become clingy and aggressive and now on again off again clingy and aggressive so we'll see yeah before this i had no idea why there was uh so much hatred for uh for son amy but uh that kind of makes makes things clear yeah yeah once again, it's the canon is sort of all over the place. I mean, if you want to go into the the depths of it, it's like at what point does Sonic and Mario cross over? At what point are characters in Sonic the Hedgehog capable of beating Sonic in a race? <laughs> well, we have to ask the real questions, right? Like, if Sonic was up against the Flash, who wins that? <laughs> <laughs> Actually, in regards to that, so Sonic, his speed has been changing over the course of time. Like, if you watch Sonic X, he goes, like, almost the speed of a turbojet. I believe the the highest recorded speed I have of Sonic the Hedgehog goes into 700 mile per hour range. I believe it's, like, 748 miles per hour is his top speed when I last checked. Speaking as a fan of The Flash, (laughs) Sonic wouldn't even touch him. (laughs) 
This is not the direction I intended, but you know what? I'm okay with this. I, I am. I am perfect. This is what the show is about now. Yeah. <laughs> so what? They have a, a brief period of of watching the Flash, where they just sit around. And it's like, so who's faster, you or Sonic the Hedgehog? <laughs> I mean, Sonic versus the Flash is now what this show is about. Okay. Well, I'm yep. I'm going to agree with you based solely on the fact in Injustice Two you can circumnavigate the globe and punch someone through time, oh, yeah. through time yes, he, itself. <laughs> he has the ability to travel through time, which I believe, according to Stephen Hawking, would require you to go I don't know seven times around the Earth in a second or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> like, sorry, Sonic. You ever use the insult, I'm going to punch you so hard by the time you stop rolling, your grandchildren will inherit the bruises? The Flash does that in spades. <laughs> Flash can grab your grandfather and then beat the kids with your grandfather. Oh my goodness. Taking a brief step back, Son Amy may not be a fan-beloved pairing, but it is one of the top pairings. Mm-hmm. I did look into some fanfic stats, and the top three relationships from over 2,000 fan works on Archive of Our Own, Shadow and Sonic. Not necessarily romantic, they're just the relationship. But I've seen the porn, I know. Shadow Sonic, <laughs> uh, 12%. Rose and Sonic, 6%. Metal Sonic and Sonic, 3%. I don't know. Hmm. But also, Amy was not the most hated character. Nope. That title goes to... Charmy B. It's gotta be Charmy B. You are, like, I can't find it in my doc, but it is Charmy B. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Knew it! (laughs) But why? Out of all the chaotix, why Charmy B? (laughs) Okay, so Charmy, once again, if you're going off of the comic books, he's okay. He's sort of like a minor secondary character, but when you actually get into the, the animated series, right... The voice actors that they use primarily for Charmy B are the most grating, and the writing for the character, he's almost to the point where it's just like, okay, thanks, C team member. Let's let's deal with SBO <laughs> or everyone else, but we don't want to deal with you. It's that's that's just how he's primarily always been. He's got a grating voice and he pretty much does the least out of Team Chaotix. One of the top results for a search for Charmy B is a YouTube video entitled Charmy B Cries for One and a Half Minutes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Well, I'm not going to argue with that. Followed by Charmy B Takes Speed. <laughs> there are a bunch of other characters from the Sonic universe, and a lot of which don't end up being shown outside of like two or three standouts. Like, for example, if you did play Sonic Mania, you would have seen uh, the the reoccurrence of two characters, Bark the Polar Bear and Fang the Sniper. I haven't beaten all of mm-hmm. Sonic Mania, but those are characters that show up. They were also from a lesser-known Sonic fighting game called Sonic the Fighters, where mm. it basically, they're like, hey, Virtua Fighter is really, really popular. You want to do that with Sonic characters? Sure, but... If we're going to do it, let's make it even more difficult, where instead of a block button, they have barriers. So every single fighting round, you can only, like, block five times, and if the opponent breaks the barrier and you run out of that, you can't block anymore during that fight. <laughs> wow. Well, back in the 90s, the revenue that was from arcade machines was off the hook, to the point where gaming companies were making legitimate bank off of making like pants on head difficult games 
just so that they can continuously get that revenue. It's one of the reasons why, like, if you play any of the, the Marvel versus Street Fighter games, why the difficulty instantly starts ramping up after the second fight to the point where it's just like, yeah, we're not going to make this easy on you. You are going to spend quarters through the nose so that way we can make back that monetary investment. And that's how video games were until the home console generation started coming around and impacting the arcade machine's profit. I started looking up Fang the Sniper and Bark the Polar Bear. Yeah. Charmy B update. Charmy B in Sonic the Hedgehog is a hack of Sonic the Hedgehog starring Charmy B as a playable character instead of Sonic the Hedgehog. <laughs> Sounds pretty mediocre. <laughs> like there were many different ideas for what Sonic the Hedgehog was going to turn into. And one of the ideas was an armadillo, which then turned into Mighty the Armadillo, who's also like a not even a B-level Sonic character, more like the C and D to the point oh. where it's just like Sonic Mania is just like, get this DLC, get Sonic Mania Plus, and you can play as Mighty the Armadillo. He looks like a badly drawn version of Sonic. Yeah. <laughs> Do all the characters sound like gung-ho guns? <sighs> <laughs> I don't have an answer for you because, once again, these are like so secondary characters to the point where they never really had animated voice lines. I mean, take for example, there's a character called Bean the Dynamite who is in like a lesser known Sonic game, uh, sorry, not a Sonic game, but a lesser known Sega game where, well, he became infamous because it was discovered like decades later that one of the original designers screwed with the opening cinematic and basically drew erotic fan fiction into the code. <laughs> If you have, like, a copy of it, all you have to do is you have to go to, like, the, the main menu or whatever, and you have to enter, like, a code in it. When you start the game, it has, like, a incredibly graphic, like, it, it starts off with, like, twin duck incest, and then a transsexual witch comes along and kidnaps the love interest. And so you and the secondary player character have to go and rescue her to continue the fun, and it... Uh. Like, it's it's just... <laughs> I am not making this up. I really wish I was. You couldn't make this up. Nobody could. Small update. Yes. Okay. Being the Dynamite is now my favorite Sonic character. <laughs> <laughs> you, sir, you have joined the, the level of Sonic deviancy I've seen. <laughs> He's basically a palette swap of Woody Woodpecker with ah. Sonic shoes. Yeah, yeah, I can, I can, yeah, Woody Woodpecker was still popular around that time. This is my OC, do not steal. <laughs> and uh, once again, so knowing that fact, like, Deviancy and Sonic the Hedgehog have been, like, together since the early 90s. Like, there's a ridiculous amount of fan games out there. Like, there are Sonic the Hedgehog dating sims, there's one where it's like you i'm trying to remember it's somebody like this guy called avalon x who basically did it where it's just like hey you're looking after cream the rabbit for a week and then that is about as wholesome as it gets it's just a deep dark dive into the abyss from that point there was a, a sonic the hedgehog dating sim where it it goes into like giganticism towards the end it gets really absurd and there's also a ridiculous amount of flash animations. I'm not going 
to tell you the one that I saw, but it ruined Sonic the Hedgehog for me back in 2005 because I was still very pure at the time. Someone sent me a link and I'm just like, what is this? And I'm like, oh my God, what is this? Why are you (laughs) doing this to me? What is this? Okay, that's enough Sonic. I'm going to start watching something more wholesome. Hey, Inuyasha. Oh God. (laughs) (laughs) Sit boy. Uh, Well, I mean, that was 2005, but uh, if Sonic Dreams Collection can tell us anything about the fandom, it's uh, still there. Is it the thing that they did on Game Grumps? Yes. Yes, yes, it is. Okay. Nope. Not interested. I... A buddy of mine showed me that, and I became borderline catatonic by the end just because I'm like, what is this? What is... What is this? Yeah. So briefly about Ray the Flying Squirrel. (laughs) (laughs) I recently heard about this character. (laughs) He looks like a legally distinct knockoff of Sonic. (laughs) Ray the Flying Squirrel. But is actually part of the series I am led to understand. I do not... Oh, there's a lot of Ray the Flying Squirrel on Google. Okay, so this has been actively, (laughs) actively searched by the community. Screw me. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I think it might be because ray was added to sonic mania recently that yeah probably makes sense it was designed for the three-player arcade game sega sonic the hedgehog yep all right all this all this talk about characters in the sonic universe is making me so hungry oh no oh no would anyone care oh for god some chili dogs <laughs> <laughs> my famous last words from last week were what's the deal with the chili dogs is is are there fan gatherings where people get together to celebrate Sonic by feasting on chili dogs? The answer to that question is yes, and it depends on the situation. So the chili dog situation was was brought in in the, the early 90s cartoon stuff. Like, it wasn't really mentioned at all in the comic books. It was just something that they threw out. Now, I don't know if Sad AM started it first or if the original Wacky Zany one did it first. I think it was the Wacky Zany one. I assumed it was, and then as a result of that, they just sort of ran with it, and I don't know, I legitimately do not know why they decided to do that, but they did, and yeah, it is what it is. So I'll leak this onto the internet because I know I'm going to film this. We've approved the script. Doug Walker beat us to the punch once again, but... We're going to do it anyway. We're planning on doing, uh, me and my buddy Media Mike, we're planning on doing a team-up where we were reviewing the Sonic the Hedgehog movie, which is basically two Sonic original voice action animations, like two episodes that Japan brought over in order to sort of promote it. But we were planning on doing a review, and it starts with me drugged and duct-taped to a chair like saw style not understanding what's going on and my buddy medium is standing over top of me going sleep well matt are you hungry would you like a (laughs) he's got like a tray and he pulls it open chili dog (laughs) amazing man it came from no official source whatsoever Mm. but uh on uh on ssmb message boards over there uh supersonic message boards i want to say maybe stands for i don't know maybe there is a thread about the chili dogs and one of the users there mr lupone mm-hmm. pointed out that in the 90s you know there were these iconic characters that were related to foods mm-hmm. the teenage mutant ninja turtles had their pizza pizzas yeah mario had his pasta 
What? Sonic had his chili dogs. When did Mario have pasta? In the cartoon on yeah. the Super Mario Super Show. You know what? I, I honestly think they were just going off of marketing <laughs> trends. Because they, yeah. they probably... Sega has always been very calculating into what is popular, what is it that we can do to incorporate. And so it doesn't surprise me that they decided to go that way. Yeah. Plus, uh, chili dogs kind of make sense. Very quick to eat. Spicy. They suit his character, as some say. Uh, I would disagree. <laughs> Fun fact. The Adventures of Sonic the Hedgehog and Sonic the Hedgehog the Saturday Morning Cartoon mm-hmm. both aired... Like, the original release was within a week of each other. Oh, wow. Like, uh, Sonic Sat.I.M. came out on September 18th, 1993. Sorry, it was two weeks. The Adventures of Sonic the Hedgehog came out September 6th, 1993. And, as proof that we live in the worst timeline, Adventures of Sonic the Hedgehog continued until 1996, and Saturday morning only lasted until 1994, and I have so many questions. Yes. Adventures of Sonic the Hedgehog had to, they had to go long enough to get the episode where Sonic loses his, his speed. It's stolen by Robotnik. And when they go to like a fast food restaurant, he doesn't order a chili dog. He orders a hamburger instead. <laughs> okay. They had cool. to get that masterwork in mm. before the show ended. So from the, the chili dog is, sorry. That's right. <laughs> I had, more, I had more on chili dogs. Go, go ahead with the chili dogs, because I'm okay. going to get serious immediately afterwards. <laughs> Good. All right, well, hang on to it for just a second. Um, chili dogs, as we know, a pop culture touchstone. Not only Sonic, but uh, Canada's own Corner Gas, of course. Yep. Brent, huge fan of chili dogs. And also, a little ditty about Jack and Diane by John Cougar Mellencamp. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Mentioned it. And I just... While we were talking, I... I was like, do people eat chili dogs in honor of uh, in John Cougar Mellencamp at any point? And the answer seems to be no. But I stumbled across a Reddit thread from a year ago on our music that just says, why does John Mellencamp go sucking on chili dogs? <laughs> 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 oh, sucking on chili dogs. The most obscene lyric I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> it just... well. Is what it is. Oh, I, I don't listen to enough John Cougar Mellencamp. Oh. He's not even in my top ten of Canadian <laughs> bands. He's not Canadian. Well, that's the reason. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> From obscene songs to... Answer, uh... answer received. I am not... <laughs> not to self. Get more familiar with music. You're a musician. I'm... Learn. I don't know if I've ever burst out laughing that hard to something unrelated on the program. But I wanted to share that with everybody. <laughs> Welcome to the hell that is my existence. <laughs> so you you brought up actually an interesting point, something that I do want to legitimately ask a question on, even though I know that none of you guys will be able to answer it unless you had something to do with the show. This is exciting. But, so Sad AM and the the cartoon, the the animated series, like both of which were within such a short time of each other, from a business standpoint, from a managerial standpoint, why would you have two shows running at the same time why not just do we're going to run one show let it run its course until that loses money and then we're going to bring in a new revamped thing because if you have competition of the same subject matter you're diverting that audience you're making it so that way those that are part of the fandoms will basically be split and it doesn't make sense 
from a managerial and a focus testing thing. You want to make the most money possible. You do one series, wait till it dies down a little bit, and hard reboot. That's the premise. That's That makes sense from a great business standpoint, and I don't understand why they would have competition like that. It's completely insane because it implies <laughs> to me that as a viewer, you have to make a choice, mm-hmm. right? They, they, I assume they do not coexist. They're not coexisting shows. No, they're not. Yeah, that is absolutely bonkers. Unless it was like two two different branches of something had control of it, but if <laughs> like if, if you know Sega's nominally in charge, why? Mm-hmm. Do you want to know something weirder? Hit me. Oh sure. Yes. They're both produced by Deke. What? <laughs> like this is? I I was like, oh, maybe they were for different networks, and the answer is maybe like. Sad AM was for ABC, and the other one was entirely produced for syndication, so it was intended to just be across a bunch of different networks. But both yeah. of them were produced by Deke, mm-hmm. which means that they're like, yes, we will accept your money. We'll just make all this. Yeah. I think Sega just wanted to fire on uh, on all fronts all at once. Mm. Get the comic for comic fans. Get a, a goofy cartoon for younger viewers who are into uh, slapstick. Mm-hmm. Get a, a gritty, dark cartoon with serious story and plotting, character development, and that kind of thing for mm-hmm. the older crowd. And then have the games, because that's your wheelhouse. You know, that's okay, but it doesn't change the fact that you would have to have a gap between two shows. Because, once again, if you run in contrast, it just doesn't make any sense from a marketing standpoint. What they should have done is they should have done the the one that was for syndication, which was uh, the light slapsticky stuff so that you can get the children in. And then mm-hmm. as market trends evolve, because towards the, the mid to late 90s, things were starting to get a little bit more darker and more edgier in terms yeah. of cartoons. We saw the creation of Spawn, Cyber Six, more gritty style mm-hmm. stuff. So you could have followed that craze with Sat AM and had it running and had it go not just to ABC, but bring it towards Fox Kids. Because if you put that in on a, not like 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock, because that's that's your prime time spot for Saturday morning cartoons. But if you had it more like a 7 or 8, you can get mm-hmm. those early risers and you can get people that are fascinated to the point where you're just like, I want to see more of this. Yeah. My only uh, explanation beyond firing on all fronts is that a uh, a time traveler from the not not too distant future who was working at sega saw the split in the fandom today Mm. and thought well you know we've we've got to try to address this so they went back and they hired deke out for these two cartoons Mm -hmm. in the hopes that they would you know grab the youngsters and grab the oldsters and kind of mix them together but alas time paradoxes and whatnot (laughs) they are the reason why the fandom is so split right now one of the things as well, I'm actually kind of surprised I didn't talk about it because we did go into to Sonic. We didn't really mention like Tails or Knuckles because mm-hmm. they did the exact same thing as they did with Sonic where they basically branched that out and said, okay, we want to have extra characters. Is anybody here in Sega Japan capable of, of creating stuff? And the I can't remember the, the artist who did Tails, but he, he drew it up. And because Sonic had a speed thing going on, he's just like, cool. He's got a speed thing going on. I'm going to make this cutesy fox character have something that has to deal with it. And he named him Miles Prower, which is <laughs> a tip of the cap and a wink to Miles Per Hour. And yeah. I didn't realize that until high school. <laughs> you, you... Oh, it took me a long time. Yeah. Well. It was maybe two years ago much, for me. Yeah, much better than yeah. I am. 
And then they, and then they brought in Knuckles the Echidna. And also, a little known fact, if you do have the, the cartridge for, for Sonic and Knuckles, you can actually grab Sonic 2, put it on top, and you can replay Sonic 2 as Knuckles hmm. and go through those maps. A lot of people don't know that. but I remember doing that. That is why I have Sonic 2. <laughs> I, like i don't have i have like a crappy just plastic case for sonic and knuckles 3 but like i do have sonic and knuckles 3 upstairs and i remember it's like oh i'll plug in another game and see what happens the game's like no dice but sonic 2 works the one of the earliest memories i had because there's a long collection of wild and wacky games that have been created involving sonic the hedgehog yeah so we've seen like racing games involving Sonic the Hedgehog. Like for example, we had Sonic R, which was one of the first games that I ever shoplifted. Wow! And it was interesting in regards to like the unlockable characters, the the differences that you can do, like collecting the Chaos Emeralds. That it wasn't just a generic racing sim. It's like, oh, you have to take time out of the race to break apart from the pack. Find these missing collectibles, get back in and win the race in order to earn them. And then they had Sega All-Stars Racing where Sonic makes an appearance. Mm -hmm. But they decide instead of putting him on foot, they decide to give him a car so that way it's equal. (laughs) And then they had Sonic and Mario go to the Olympic Games. So Sega had the rights to the Olympic franchise. And at the time they stopped when Dreamcast went under. And so they started becoming third-party uh, mm-hmm. game developers. They started first with Nintendo. So that's one of the reasons why Sonic Adventure 2 was an exclusive to the GameCube, was because they were the first people mm-hmm. they contacted. And then they they started creating Sonic Heroes, which then got out to the, the PS2. And um, they had the rights, and they just looked at it, and they're like, hey, we know that we've had an intense rivalry, but do you want to make some money here? And Nintendo just looked at them and they're like, yeah, we want to make some money. What's up? Well, we've got the rights to the Olympic Games. How would you like to have Mario and Sonic putting aside their differences and doing competitions with each other? We would love that. We're going to make gangbusters. But how do we justify the racing stuff? We'll figure it out. (laughs) All right. I got to... Got a little quote here. Okay. Okay. Matt, and this will probably fire engines in some sort of direction. This is from Polygon. This is from 2015 from an article entitled, Why Don't Today's Kids Love Sonic? Oh, no. Uh-oh. Oh, yeah. Okay, so here's a little snippet. Sonic's biggest problem is Sega, a company that has been in a state of crisis for over a decade. Mm-hmm. When Sega was big enough and tough enough to duke it out with Nintendo in the era of Genesis, Sonic was at his peak. But as the company was dumped out of the console business and began to run out of ideas, it leaned too heavily on established money spinners like Sonic and its pachinko business. Earlier this year, the firm announced it would be closing its San Francisco office and shutting 300 jobs. Sega's never known whether to celebrate Sonic's past or try to rejuvenate the character for successive new generations, and so, inevitably, it attempts both. Mm-hmm. Take a moment to compare Sonic with that other 1990s icon, Lara Croft, who after years of sorry exploitation has been finally given a new life. Such an operation takes a lot of focus, talent, and money, none of which Sega seems willing to bring to the table. When Sonic is given a new look, such as the most recent rejig featuring long legs and a weird hipster-esque scarf, the faithful are rarely satisfied while the uninitiated remain unmoved. To a young person today, Sonic cuts a pretty tragic figure. TV cartoons seem to be the last holdout for the character, but as a video game star for tweens and older, he looks like a cash-in relic trotted out with unwelcome rapidity. Oof. Oh, the sass! 
Oh, that's pretty savage. I am. I am not going to touch that. My sodium ah. intake is high enough. Oh. <laughs> Give me some of the sweet stuff, Jesus. <laughs> okay. Well, to some degree, I can understand that though, because Sega has not really gained a lot of public favor. They do have elements of like really, really good games. For example, Sonic Colors was a fantastic game it changed things up a little bit but it did have the platforming elements it it was a little bit of a kid-friendly type thing but i remember playing like the first couple missions and i'm like wow this is pretty damn good and then there's uh there was one that came out for the wii u i can't fully remember oh, it it lost wasn't worlds par- yeah lost worlds was actually pretty fun as well i remember having uh, a decent time with that the Sonic Boom generation, I feel, once again, is sort of a misstep, and I feel like they need to, to essentially reboot and go back, because changing the look of a character, you gotta do more than that. And to people that had grown up with Sonic, it sort of felt like, once again, they're trying to, to cash in. And there's nothing wrong with the company trying to cash in, but you gotta do it in a way that doesn't come across as blatant. Mm-hmm. I think that's Sega's problem, because I'm a huge fan of Sega games. My favorite games that are finally getting traction is uh, the Ryu Ga Gotoku series, which translated is Yakuza, which I've been a oh, yeah. massive fan since the original one dropped way back in the, the late 2000s with like Mark Hamill as one of the characters and Michael Madsen playing Kazuma Kirio. And that has taken off. Uh, the success of the, the Valkyria Chronicle, well, the first game did well. Um, the other ones made the mistake of deciding to jump into the uh handheld market which works in japan but internationally places like north america and europe don't have that handheld console generation like have that handheld dynamic so it was a it was a complete and total misstep so that's sort of what caused it to go under in regards to that oh now i remember the thing that i wanted to talk about So I brought up the idea of Sega doing what's good for Japan, but not doing what's good for international. So let's talk about Big the Cat. Oh, yeah, you you were going to mention that. (laughs) Let's find Froggy. Yeah, I was reading through the history of Sonic the Hedgehog, and the biggest complaint about Sonic Adventure was, what the was Big the Cat? Like, why was that even there? That was horrible. That was a decision that... They did not see the bigger picture. They were trying to cash in because domestically in Japan, arcade fishing games are selling through the roof back then. And and yeah. they still are. Like, I got confused when it made an appearance in the Yakuza franchise, but after like a couple hours, I'm like, I can see why this catches on. But when they included it in Japan, they were trying to get the Japanese audience without even bothering to consider what the dynamic was going to be from an international standpoint. And that's what screwed them over because they're like, yeah, we're going to do stuff that is going to be a nice thing, but we're also going to include the Japanese audiences. No, you got to refine it. You got to find a way to make it work for all audiences. Otherwise it'll crucify you. And where it worked in Yakuza was a, it made sense in that universe to have that type of minigame situation because the entire thing is half minigame, half beating up guys in zoot suits. (laughs) (laughs) 
And then eventually you start taking off your shirts and then it's like, hey, look, we're on fire now for some weird reason. Manly fight. <laughs> Is that a motorcycle? I can lift it above my head. <laughs> but Sega has the ongoing issue where they consider their own domestic sales and they don't look at the bigger picture and they don't think of things that would make sense to have in the quality of their games because they're focusing. It's also one of the reasons why, like, dare I even say, like Konami took a huge step down from video games to the point where they're not making games anymore. And they're focusing entirely on the Pachinko machine, the Pachinko drive, because they're focused entirely not on the international market. They want to make money domestically. And they're looking at the gamble that is the AAA game industry. They don't realize what it takes to become successful. So they're closing down, getting rid of their IP, and trying to find ways to cash in on them with domestic sales. That's Sega's idea, and they need to understand. It's like, no, we need to factor in universal markets. Like, they were against putting Sonic the Hedgehog in with a copy of the Sega Genesis when it was released for the North American audiences. They're completely against that because they're like, this is our fastest selling game. But then the North American development branch of Sega was looking at them going, yes, but do you want to have that fandom include it with the copy of the game? Because that way people will grow up with it. It's kind of like how Nintendo did with Super Mario Brothers, right? You buy it, Mm -hmm. you get that copy of Super Mario Brothers. You have something that now people will be able to say, hey, this character is amazing. This game is amazing. I'm going to grow up and start buying stuff as opposed to, oh, you got this. It has a generic game. You can find their best selling one, but if your parents aren't savvy, they might just completely skip it and end up grabbing something that sucks. Yep. Like Lee Carvello's putting challenge. (laughs) Like Lee Carvello's putting challenge. Okay. Let's go off the beaten path into the ditch. (laughs) I remember games like uh, there was a Tasmanian Devil Sega Genesis game. And the reason that it sticks out, even though it probably wasn't a very memorable game, was because my dentist had one of those Sega Genesis cabinets that had like mm-hmm. seven games in it. Mm-hmm. It had, you know, Sonic. It had Sonic 2. It had X-Men. Mm-hmm. And then it had that one. But all of those things stuck out in my head, whether or not they were good games, because they were they were there. They were the Genesis games. The Genesis games that stand up to me are, apart from Sonic, Mortal Kombat with blood. Yes. Yeah. Gunstar Heroes. Mm-hmm. And uh, Fantasy Star. Yeah. Yes. Oh, and Toe Jam and Earl. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, with, with the resurgence of, say, for example, the Super Nintendo, the how they have the classic SNES, and yep. uh, like the reemergence of that, Sega has released one, actually. Mm-hmm. for classic Sega Genesis stuff that has an entire collection of games. And I'm surprised the marketing push, A, hasn't been as huge, and B, I'm surprised that people haven't gone out because, once again, nostalgia comes and goes in waves. And with Super Nintendo, that sold like gangbusters, but when the Sega Genesis came out, I'm like, am, am I the only one buying this? I can go and get this <laughs> anywhere. What is going on here? Seemed like a bit of a whimper uh, when it came out. Yeah. Yeah. Don't you know it has blast processing? (laughs) (laughs) I found out that, you know, traditionally I would say that Sonic is a game where you've got to go so fast. Like, that's the whole point of blast processing, and that's the whole gimmick of Sonic. I have been doing some reading for the research for this episode, 
and someone was saying, yes, it was a game where you want to move fast and to the right and all that, but it was a game that punished you for going too fast. Ooh. You brought up a really good point, and I'm going to segue it into this. So one of the, the people that I follow is a, is a company called Red Letter Media. They primarily do you know movie reviews they got big off like a star wars review episode one which was actually longer than the the actual film surprisingly (laughs) seriously go and watch that review it's amazing but the two members of the cast rich evans and uh jack hackard they did a a small splinter group where they did a, a thing called previously recorded where they do video game reviews and one of the things they did was they reviewed the sonic the hedgehog game and they did two things that cut into me but makes a lot of sense. The very first thing is, it's like, oh yeah, his thing has got to go fast. Don't do that. (laughs) It's all about getting there alive and trying to hold on to as many rings as possible because it's like, yeah, you're you're going fast and then you're going to run face first into something. There's a lot of stuff that shows up on screen, a lot of obstacles that you need to avoid. So going fast is insane. And also because there is so much stuff that is on screen, I, and I hate to admit it, Super Mario Brothers was a faster game. Mario mm. moved faster. The graphics that were going on on screen, because there was less of a, a complicated mess and a, less stuff that you had to navigate, it had a higher processing power. So therefore, Mario, Super Mario Brothers, was the faster game. Oh no. It's like I'm denying my religion. <laughs> hey. Would you say you're you're losing your religion? Oh, i've performed that song do not tempt me okay i will not do that that's how i used to play mario like a sonic game (laughs) as fast as possible i'm like if i just go like top speed i'm sure i'll hit all the enemies correctly and and fly my way to the end yeah it wasn't until like sonic 2 where they invented uh, the spin dash and that was sort Mm -hmm. of their their means of oh that yeah yeah means of just oh i see cringe in you nick t it was necessary like i played sonic one and i just can't go back that far and it's not even yeah. that far <laughs> it's just like no spin dash makes the game that much harder yeah oh, man. well for me hello everybody out there this is just your episode editor nick z chiming in here uh unfortunately we lost a little bit of the audio here just to give you some context for uh, what matt's about to say he started to talk about how he had started his gaming career with Sonic the Hedgehog, but never actually finished it because uh, he was just terrified of the water levels. And uh, now let's hear why that was. Giving the, the control to a kid and it's just like when you don't get to the air bubbles in time, for me as someone who puts himself into the characters, like, oh my God, I'm killing my oh, friend. Why am yeah. I doing this? I, I can't I can't beat this. I can't deal with the ongoing pressure that is killing Sonic the Hedgehog. And so I just, as soon as I got to the water level, I just like shut it off and I'm like, I'm done. I can't I'm do done. it. Is Escaflone on yet? <laughs> <laughs> How about Sailor Moon? <laughs> I want to see what Vaughn's up to this week. <laughs> but uh, the one thing that did help Sega, though, is sonic the edgehog was that that personality that he had that helped with the 90s like it was all part of the viral marketing like for example first things first you play sonic the hedgehog and you don't move the controller for like about maybe 50 seconds sonic jumps off the screen (laughs) and dies in protest he's just like yeah i'm done see ya it's like you gotta go faster (laughs) 
he ain't got no time for your crap. Yeah. Don't you know that Sega do what Nintendo don't? Mm-hmm. Indeed. He would immediately like tap his foot and look at you, right? Like as, yeah. like as soon as you were standing still. For like ten seconds or so, I believe, and then he's just like, "So we we playing a game here? Are we? What what, what are we doing? You get in the hot pockets? Oh, that's that's great. You get in the hot pockets. Guess who doesn't have time? I don't have time." Look, I don't know about you, but all my friends have been roboticized, and I'd really like <laughs> yeah. to, you know, fix that. Press that big button. Press that big button. <laughs> yeah, that was actually my famous last words from last week. Were what part of Sonic do folks latch onto? Is it that he goes fast? Is it the nineties? And yeah, that was that was one of the things that came up. Mm. Like you know, Mario is like a character in a game. When you're playing the game, you are Mario. When you're playing a Sonic game, you direct Sonic, but you are not Sonic mm. because, like you said, he's like, I don't care about this. I'm gonna like forget you. I'm done with this. So I feel the need to explain this because once again, like I am a Sonic fan, but I'm not. I'm a casual fan. I care more about what the character represents and how he was being marketed, how he was portrayed both in the the comic books and what he represents in my head had like an adverse effect on the type of person that I wanted to be and the type of person that I try to portray myself as. Sonic has always, in my mind, appeared to be the coolest guy in school. Like the coolest dude in the room. He's always the quickest with the joke. He's always the, the person that you aspire to want to be. And as like a kid growing up, I'm just sitting there going... He's well-liked, he's got a hell of a lot of attitude, he doesn't take crap from anyone, and he just enjoys living life the way he does under no restrictions so long as he doesn't want to hurt anybody. And so I started wanting to emulate that, and that eventually became the the formation of my stage personality and my media personality, Sonic MTD, was me trying to to go back into it's like, well... You know, I'm fast talking and I've got this attitude and I've got this enthusiasm and we're going to have a great time and let's go sit through and I'm going to tell you why this sucks and why my opinion matters and things like that. I'll be very tongue in cheek about it. So for me, it wasn't really a combination of the gamings. It was more along the lines of what Sonic the Hedgehog, his character type, his personality type did on impacting me and shaping me as a child to now where I am now. Looking back on it, you could obviously say that it is marketing bullcrap, right? (laughs) But we all have, as young children, we all have this idealistic version of, you know, the type of people that we aspire to. Some people had Michael Jordan, you know, that had athletic posters of, you know, seeing him in Space Jam. It's like, oh, I want to be, you know, a hard worker. I want to, you know, do my best in athletics. And there are other people that look to their parents or look to superheroes and basically say, you know, I want to I want to truly make the world a better place. And with Sonic the Hedgehog, I just looked at that and I'm like, I'm a shy, quiet, insecure and scared child. I want to grow up to be someone as cool as that one day. And that's what Sonic did to me. That's what that's what Sonic represents to me. I still can't justify Sonic Underground, but I'm going to say that me becoming a musician had nothing to do with that series. <laughs> I do want to point that out. It was on the record. That's the one thing. Right. Yeah, it's on the record. I just want to point out that early on in the development of the first Sonic game, the codename for the game was Defeat Mario. Ah! Yep. Yep. <laughs> yep. Oh boy. The console wars were huge, man. Like now they're not as big. I mean, they're still they're still active, but growing up in the 90s, it was like 
marketing style guerrilla warfare. It's like you could not own both. You had to have one or the other. It's like there were people that were quite adamant, quite split on it. It's like, are you with Sega or are you with Mario? Are you with Pokemon? Are you with Digimon? Are you with, you know, that's how it was ingrained. Like PS2 or Xbox, there was always sort of this animosity between both sides. Now, in the modern ethos that is uh, video game culture, it makes more sense to create uh, a product and sell it across multiple platforms rather than just the one like exclusives are slowly but surely draining out as game developer studio companies realize hey we can make much more roi return on investment creating stuff across all platforms and get people that way but there still are certain companies like certain licenses that will try and get stuff for themselves and only themselves like if you factor in for example like um spyro for the original playstation crash bandicoot for the original playstation and then evolving into sly cooper and then going into the ps3 which was nathan drake there will always be sort of like the the one sort of stand out game franchises but for most parts for most parts with game companies that are that are trying to keep afloat if they don't have a big company backing them and willing to put that money in they're going to try their best to get as much as they possibly can out to as many different platforms did uh, did the music of sonic have any impact on you when you were uh, into the fandom yes to the point where you can play the first three seconds of green hill zone and i will instantly <laughs> just burst into the room <laughs> guitar in hand <laughs> I'm like, I don't even have an amplifier at that point because I didn't think that far ahead, but I have the guitar and I'm playing along to it. Awesome. And if you are a modern fan and I say the name like Crush 40, like everybody just instantly goes, oh yeah, we love those guys. <laughs> Live and learn, hanging on oh. the edge of tomorrow. Live and learn. Mm. <laughs> that is the number one vocal song as voted by fans. <laughs> yeah. And then to play Sonic Adventure 2 without singing Escape from the City. Like, the music in on itself, they have made it in such a way where the music has become a ample part of the game. And almost from a design perspective, they made it so that way the first level that you play in the game, they make damn sure, Sega, they make damn sure the music that they play is going to be the song that helps rope you in. As to whether or not they do that every time that's something that you have to to ask yourself i don't i don't think every time but usually like the first level of the game or from the opener they're trying to grab you they're trying to to attach that song to attach that that feeling into you so that way you buy it and the music becomes another part of it i don't have anything particular to quote from the article but it's from uh, talk amongst yourselves and it's entitled remembering the charming maximalism of sonic the hedgehog's music yes it's a good little tour through songs in the first few games. Not to mention that Sonic 3 has a lot of uh, influence from a, a certain famous pop star. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yes. Now confirmed. Well, it's <laughs> this is getting into to Japanese sociology. But I had a talk with uh, a musician by the name of Mason Lieberman, who was a guest uh, not this past year at YetiCon, but the year before that, because he did work for Beyblade. Ooh. Like he did the musical composition for that. 
And I ended up becoming friends with him to the point where it's like, hey, you want to hang out at my hotel? And I'm like, dude, you're a guest. Yes. Yeah, so <laughs> I'm just a schmuck. And he's like, so? I got a Les Paul. You want me to play your guitar? Yeah, I want you to play my guitar. Okay. But he described the music styles and tastes of Japan. They are so over the top to the point where the 80s never died. And what I mean by that is a lot of their musical compositions, a lot of stuff like that is very based on hair metal. You could listen to some some anime themes. You can listen to a lot of stuff. And if you just isolate, like get rid of the vocals and focus on the instrumentals, you can hear that 80s style rock riffs. Like, for example, mm-hmm. Live and Learn. That is pure 80s hair metal rock and roll. Mm-hmm. A vast majority of Sonic the Hedgehog has that hair metal aesthetic because that incorporates with pedal to the metal, balls to the walls. We're going to get our audiences ramped up. And also, if you are in the music industry and you do happen to play, like, 80s rock and roll, if you get big in Japan, they will latch on to you and never let go. I have heard that. Yeah, because Crush 40 is making a killing out there. Zebrahead, but they're not 80s metal. Like, Mr. Big, if you're familiar with Mr. Big, Mm -hmm. they are giant in Japan. And that fits nicely into, like, what Sonic and Sega was selling. Yeah. Which was energy. Yeah. And also youthfulness by way by way of energy. Like Mario Mario's not, he jumps, whatever. There's no sense of urgency <laughs> to a Mario unless you're in the last minute. It would be unfair to sort of compare a modern Sonic game to something like Super Mario sixty four. But if you were to compare games that were out at the time, so like the Super Mario Galaxy franchise, where it's got this really nice string orchestra sort of relaxed and wondrous amazing feel to the point where like as a kid it gives you that sense of wonderment it's like what is this this looks fantastic and then it goes over to sega and it's just like rock and roll (laughs) and you're just sitting there and they both do their jobs very very well but they both have key differences that speak volumes as a company because nintendo is trying to get that wonderment as a toy company and Sega still holds on to that 90s attitude aesthetic. Like, even when you, like, so if you boot up a copy of uh, any of the modern Yakuza games, they all open up, when you see the Sega logo, they open up with this insane 80s guitar riff as the Sega logo flashes on the screen. And then it's like, Sega, and then fades to black. <laughs> then the menu kicks in. So, even to this day, they have that attitude behind them. Whereas Nintendo wants to to have that wonderment, which has been around since the inception of the companies. It's very much a pot versus Coke situation. Yeah, it's Coke versus Pepsi. (laughs) Or that. (laughs) Talks about a bunch of games today here in this podcast. Some very liked, some not so liked. But it sounds like there are certain elements, little bits and pieces of all the games that you as a Sonic fan have enjoyed, that other people have enjoyed. So my personal final question here is, is the Sonic fandom a fandom of hope? Hope that the next game will be as good as people remember them being when they were young. Hope that, you know, Sonic will, I guess, find his footing and have, like, the ultimate game, the ultimate Sonic representation come out eventually. That's a difficult question to answer, and it's not difficult in the terms of what you're asking. It's more along the lines of asking how people primarily react. I, for one, like to be very optimistic in regards to Sega's future. I know that they have 
you know, occasionally stumbled forward in regards to the Sonic franchise, but they're making great strides with realizing, you know what? Give it to the fans. Let's see how Mania does. And it sold like gangbusters. So that could be the start of them realizing, okay, maybe we need to give more fan control into this. So I think Sega is more than capable of pulling themselves out of the hole. It depends on what they're going to do with it. Frankly, as a Sega fan, more so, because once again, there are some games that have been clunkers. They are way more successful with games like Yakuza, with Valkyria Chronicles. Maybe Sonic as a game character might slowly just start, you know, taking a walk away from the spotlight, in which case... I would be okay with that. I'll be a little bit sad, but it makes sense because once again, Mario, he's not appearing on television shows, right? Like he has the odd games, but when when has the time come where you've looked at Mario and he goes, this guy has legitimate character. No, it's everyone else that sort of makes up the Mario universe. Yeah. Mario has become, and I hate saying this because I absolutely love his movies, but what some people consider Keanu Reeves in the sense of he's sort of like a placeholder for the the characters whereas with sonic the hedgehog you're sitting there going all these characters have either have too much character or not enough to the point where they bleed and become very stale and stoic and they don't fit well yeah like what did you do with knuckles he was somewhat intelligent anti-hero and now he's the type of person who doesn't know basic math yeah. You took Knuckles and you merged them with Big the Cat, didn't you? Oof. <laughs> took a few production meetings, but uh, some A-B testing. We finally did it, folks. That's what people wanted. This is exactly <laughs> what we wanted. <laughs> oh, man. T, you have multiple spotlights for this episode, I understand? What? That doesn't sound like me, but it is this week, so <laughs> that's how things go. I have several spotlights this week. Uh, Spotlight being part of the show where we show off a cool fan-related thing to the topic that we're covering. We're talking about Sonic the Hedgehog, so what could the spotlight possibly be? Well, one of them is a little thing called Sonic Marathon, which you can find at sonicmarathon.com. The Sonic Marathon is a sometimes yearly tradition at Respawn Point, where every year they gather together and set aside an entire week with one shared goal to raise some money for a charity while bashing their heads against the wall and playing as many Sonic the Hedgehog games as possible. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like the desert bus of Sonic the Hedgehog games, except calling anything the desert bus of anything doesn't make any sense. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, but they played through it for a full week. They did one in 2018, in February. It was their sixth time running it, and the charity was Special Effect, which works with people suffering from various disabilities that would otherwise stop them from playing video games and interacting with the world around them, and it helps people to be able to do those things. It's not clear if they're going to run one in 2019, but if you're interested, you can go to twitter.com slash rpmarathons, and hopefully they'll post an update about the 2019 one that they're doing. Hopefully. They run it for six years. I can't imagine they're going to stop. No, it's always got a good thing going. Yeah. Yeah. Spotlight number two, Your Two Show, which you can find at your Y-O-U-R-E two show oh crap they're both your y-o-u-r-e t-o-o-s-h-o-w dot com stupid homophones Uh. 
Zane Hewitt and Splendor host the weekly podcast, Your Two Show, described by itself as an investigation into the silly world of Sonic. They pitched it as an educational type of podcast where instead of them being the sort of academic professor types spouting knowledge, they're learning about Sonic right alongside the listener. So you can check that out. And the last one, which I saved the best for last because I'd actually seen it and I'd forgotten about it. Sonic, the fan film, which you can find on YouTube. And uh, it was made with the intention of having it be a, a spec film with the primary purpose of it to show a live action take on Sonic the Hedgehog. And the thing that I think is really way too cool about it is that, well, one, it's just under 20 minutes, so you, sh- you can go out and watch it now. Huh. But also, it features Jaleel White ah. what? as the voice of Sonic the Hedgehog. Hey. Incredible. Interesting. Nice. That is a fun little touch. Getting the voice of Urkel, also known as the voice of both of the 90s <laughs> Sonic the Hedgehogs. He was up for it. But that's that's really neat, because he could have just been like, I'm trying to distance myself from that, thank you. Maybe he's like, I'm too busy trying to distance myself from Urkel, so I gladly play Sonic. <laughs> <laughs> so from, from an acting standpoint, right? Like, he's been out of the mainstream public since god knows how long he got back with dancing of the stars and even then like people realized he's a bit of a dick any but through doing voice acting he's able to keep doing jobs and keep himself in the the public eye so as someone who's in media like all of you guys the worst thing that could happen is people forgetting you yeah the only thing worse than being talked about is not being talked about yes <laughs> Speaking of which, Matt, would you like to talk about where people can find you on the internet? Of course! I would love to! (laughs) (laughs) I had a feeling you might. Yeah, so my name is Matthew Tyler DeLeo. I go by the alias SonicMTD. You can find me on YouTube, on Twitch, on Twitter, you name it. I'll tell you what you need to do. What you need to do is you need to go into your search engine and you need to type in Sonic MTD. That is capital S, small O, small N, small I, small C, capital M, capital T, capital D. And I guarantee, Nick D, you will like what you see. <laughs> if you've absorbed all of Matt's content and you're still hungry for more, head on over to Phantopological.com. You can find all of our episodes, each one exploring a different fandom we've stacked up about a hundred now so if there's one that you're interested in we've probably done it if you find that we haven't do email us at nick at the nickscast.com and please do let us know this podcast is fanthropological but we three are the nickscast and you can find us at the nickscast pretty much anywhere on the internet twitter instagram youtube and facebook this podcast in addition to fanthropological.com can be found on spotify or in the podcatcher of your choice and while you're there please leave a rating or review and uh, let people know what is going on with us. We like to have a lot of fun here on the next cast. Oh. No, we don't. <laughs> no, we don't. Uh, you got us there. there. <laughs> got us there. Well, maybe we don't. But what we do like is making a lot of cool, fun stuff. And sometime in the new year, and this is a long way out to, to promote this, oh, yes. but uh, we're percolating a little something. Another podcast, maybe. And all I can say is that it's about time anyway we'll be talking more about that throughout the next season and uh keep your ears peeled because we've got a lot to say about it uh z say your thing then. <laughs> listeners friends are you having trouble sleeping well 
why not listen to podcasts? They're all the rage these days. People listen to them in the gym, at home, doing chores, and when they're about to go to sleep. And whether you're a bad dude with a lot of tood, like a certain blue hedgehog we've been talking a lot about, or somebody who just wants some beers, like Steve Austin, you can enjoy podcasts too. And if you've been joining us on this recording of Phantropological Live via twitch.tv slash the Nixcast, you can also be enjoying us as a podcast that's just audio, as they say. You can do that uh, through all sorts of mediums. But more importantly, if you're listening to this as one, as in one of those audio podcasts, you could also be tuning in on twitch.tv slash the Nixcast, where we record these episodes live. And why might you want to do that? Well, to join in the chat, join in the fun, to potentially one day join in the funk, but uh, we're not there yet. And also, one thing in particular you can do when you join us here on these live recordings at twitch.tv slash the Nixcast is uh, join in on the famous last words. That's right, Famous Last Words, where nine times out of ten, it's what we would look into before we start next week's research. But the one time out of ten, it's the end of a season, which means that instead of what our famous last words are for next episode, what are our famous last words for next season? What do we want to see in the next season of the next cast? Or what's your statement about the next season of the next cast? Um... Next season, we are going to have an episode with five Nicks. What? <laughs> You're setting the bar high. <laughs> okay. What I would like to see from the Nicks cast, I would like to see you guys have continued successful growth to the point where not only your production value increases, but possibly you guys get more renowned so you're making the beat at conventions like you're at yeti con you're at anime north you're at con bravo things like that i would like to see the nick cast be to the point where you have a fan audience because you guys primarily are giving tutorials and there are people there that want the technical information but i would like to see the nick's cast grow to the point where you can have people in in an audience where you can do maybe a live nix cast live at a convention scene and have that aired to the public not just a workshop but you can actually do one live on the floor from location from anime north from con bravo if they're still around from yeti con i would like to see that because i think you guys are very personable i think that you guys are very intelligent and i would think that you guys have what it takes to take it on the road and i think you guys have what it takes to do that that's what i'd like to see continued growth well thank you i think that season nine in the vein of things that have already been said but slightly different is going to be the season that we really start to hit our stride and find our voice i think that for a while we've been trying things and meeting people and all of that has been great and we've got some amazing episodes that we have done but i think season nine is going to be the one where we really start to figure out 
what it is that we really want to hone into. I think that's what it's going to be. If you haven't figured it out by eight seasons. (laughs) (laughs) It's a living document, if it was a document. And, And every season we bring something new to it and learn new things. I was amazed to learn when I started plotting out the episodes that we had done that it was only in like the last two seasons that we started to have guests and even that small change makes a gigantic difference yeah following our our advice from podcast panels that we do we didn't wait till we had it perfect we just started Mm -hmm. yeah and like having guests on the show really brings a whole nother level to it so it's like that's that's what we got to do and that's what we're doing so feels pretty good see have you had enough time I, I hope that next season will be will be painless. It will that it will bring on many changes. Maybe that I can take or leave it if I please. Uh, that the game of season nine will be hard to play. Um, but also, I smell song lyrics. But continue. <laughs> Jumping off of those song lyrics into <laughs> their cryptic message, I will say that if anything, I mean it would be nice to have a little bit more about sort of western fandoms predominantly because like we've covered a lot of video game stuff and a lot of a lot of anime and i think that there's there's a lot of stuff that's kind of gone uncovered in terms of tv shows like mash if i can call things out specifically here you got to be careful with mash because with shows like that like mash happy days things like that it's a fandom, it's an icon for a certain generation of people, mm-hmm. so you need to make sure that you get on that before the fandom dies off. In a way, yeah. I mean... We kind of had a, a, like a really good post-mortem for Galaga in the, yeah. in the season, which, was, which yeah. was a lot of fun. That is true. Because there, there are huge MASH fans out there. Like One of the things I remember when I was a child was... It didn't matter. If MASH was like on TV, it was playing in the background. I did not like the show, but my mom, my dad, most people that were in my parents' age range were watching MASH. Same. I want to tap into that. I want to learn about that that kind of fandom where there's still a tight community around that, but there isn't the uh, sort of the infrastructure that we have today in the form of the internet because like back then, I guess maybe there might have been zines mash scenes scenes are still a thing by the way is it just primarily like television series like are we talking like all in the family the jeffersons i wouldn't want it to just be a tv heavy season but um even getting into comics because i mean that goes quite a ways back as well with either something something from dc or marvel or just just one of those two uh houses Comics are like a weird thing to like stuff into the format of our podcast. I'm not like, are we just going to do Marvel? Yeah. yeah. Or like, are we going to do like Spider-Man or like, you know. At that point, you're going to have to be really specific either by brand name or by character. Because once again, there's a giant pantheon Mm -hmm. of what could happen. I mean, take Transformers, take, uh, take anything that's remotely related to marvel and you have like an entire episode's worth of content yeah and then there's like you have marvel comics versus like mcu yeah yeah we haven't we haven't done it because i don't know if we know how to approach it yet yeah but i'm sure we'll get to it all 
Oh, yes. Well, I can help you guys with the layout of that, but <laughs> I don't know anything about that. That is a topic for a different guest. <laughs> Thank you again, Matt, for joining us. Thank you. Especially on such short notice. Yeah. Uh, your spreadsheets were much appreciated. I'm almost tempted to sing <laughs> the end by the Beatles, but I don't have the time. <laughs> well, you could open your heart. Oh. <laughs> I love you and I hate you at the same time. But... <laughs> <laughs> and that's a great way to end the episode thanks for oh, watching yeah. on behalf of nick 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 and me thanks for watching the next cast and later days there's a long collection of wild and wacky games that have been created involving sonic the hedgehog yeah and i'm, I'm i might as well bring this up because we we were going to go into famous last words and i'm like no i got more content i can keep going you guys can edit this and post please don't do this to me i have spreadsheets <laughs> you've got but, binders uh, full of sonic well, it's, I have I have the database <laughs> that is my head in regards to it. So we've seen like racing games involving Sonic the in the next season of the next cast. Huh. Or what's your statement about the next season of the next cast? Um, I'm gonna say that uh, uh, next season it's possible we may get to the end of the episode without having a case of the sillies. <laughs> <laughs> Not possible. Has that consistently happened on every show? <laughs> Happens a lot. This is uh, particularly Almost. egregious. <laughs> I think it's a combination of being out of practice by necessity. Yeah. Like, like <laughs> just it's been busy and we're wrapping, wrapping things up. Yeah, yeah. And it's the end of the season. So it's like, all right, we just need to push a little <laughs> further. Yeah. I just, I, I absolutely love the, the contrast that you brought in, how you were saying I was the <laughs> antithesis to, and so just, I'm sitting there, and as soon as he gets on the mic, and you have this very soft-spoken voice to the point where I'm just killing myself laughing, because oh. I'm like, oh my god, it's I'm... right on the head. The only way it could be more tranquil <laughs> is if you had smooth jazz playing in the background. Just, just get out there and be like, get that smooth jazz. <laughs> <laughs> That's the stuff, Nick. Perfect. Play that funky music, <laughs> <Nice>. white boy. <laughs>